Thank you, Paul. I'm having a great time. When I get to come to Southern California, I get to see my sons and my daughter and my daughters-in-law and my new granddaughter. You heard about her, haven't you? Her name is Lauren. You haven't heard about her? Boy, I should have brought her this morning. I want to tell you, you know, all your life you worry about getting old. Some of you are already at age 21 or 22 worried about getting old. I know that. But God is marvelous in his grace. And when it actually comes upon you, when you really do get old, then he gives you new kinds of blessings, you know. I mean, what young man here today would ever look forward to being a grandfather? But on the eve of the time you're about to become a grandfather, guess what? You can't wait to become a grandfather. Because God has, I guess, built that into our hearts and lives. And I'm having so much fun. I just don't get enough time to be with Lauren. And then I'm talking to Rob and Pam because I wouldn't want to have an only grandchild. That would be terrible. Right? Wow. Boy, Paul Martin is a hard act to follow, isn't he? I'm thinking, what in the world am I going to do? You know, how am I? I mean, this is Entertainment City with you, you know? And I got a segue from that, you know, into, into something uh, spiritual. And I'm struggling. I'm not sure how to do this. You know, it's, um, I'm glad we're going to sing at the end. You know why? Because after we get into God, God's Word together, you know, there's no better time to praise Him in song, is there? Well, I hope you had a good weekend, got all rested. You know, I'm, I'm sure all of you are up to date on all your studies and probably two or three papers ahead of time and a couple of showing up for an exam later this week and actually you thought it was the one next week because you're ready for that one. I know how, how that goes, how that goes. I want to talk about a real serious subject today. And I've never talked specifically about this subject before, but the reason I want to talk about it is because it is so important. It involves the changing of a heart and life at conversion and that it's involved in our entire walk until we go to be with our Lord or until he comes to get us. And it's a very, very important concept called repentance. Repentance. Why do I want to talk about it? Because when I go through these communist countries, and Loretta can't be here today because she already had to go back to Michigan this morning to get ready for our next trip next Next Monday, Lord willing, a week from today, we get on a plane and go, I think it's our 18th or 19th trip to the former Soviet Union. Who would have ever thought? You know, if you would have, Paul, when I came here, when we came here, when, when um, you were helping me learn the ropes of being executive vice president, I remember those consultations, you know. When you were helping me through that, um, I would have never believed that I'd ever go to Russia once, you know. And now I've been in more than 50 cities in the former Soviet. I don't even know how many more. I mean, it's been more, probably more cities than I've been to in America. How could that be? But everywhere I go there, people are doing something that the Bible calls repenting. And pastors call people to repentance. And you could grow up in a church in America and never hear the word repentance. And I don't know why that is, but we've got to change it. And you've got to be a part of, of helping us change it. I was so thrilled. I think it was, well, it was, I know it was. A week ago, last night, I was privileged to be at Grace Community Church, a rare privilege for me, and many of you were there for baptism. And I was thrilled. There were four candidates for baptism, and, and they all talked about how they had repented from their sin and, and turned to Christ. 
Very seldom is that heard. I just kept nudging my wife and saying, Hey, she repented. Isn't that great? I mean, she really understands sin. They've been taught at Grace Community Church when they're in the process of coming to the Lord. But it was back about three weeks ago, I was in a little church, three or four hundred people in Bethany, in Livonia, Michigan, Bethany Bible Church. And I'd preached and I'd begun with uh, Isaiah chapter 6 and I'd I'd given kind of a report about some some of the things that are going on in the former communist world. And at the end of the message, I prayed. The pastor had said he wanted Luetta and I to go to the back and greet the people. So he, he said, when you pray at the end, then they'll get up to sing and they wanted me to just walk to the back. Well, we walked to the back. And from where we were, we couldn't see what was going on, but, you know, they sang, and then everybody just kind of stood there, and I couldn't see the pulpit. And then I hear this man in a loud voice crying into the microphone, I can't go on. I must have what you people have. And he fell his face into the pulpit, making a big noise into the microphone. And it turned out it was a man married to a woman in the church who had been in all kinds of gross sin in the last year. And the whole congregation had been, rip, had been praying for him. And that morning, I had talked about people repenting and turning from their sin and how they do it in Russia. And as he picked up his head and he continued, he said, I want what those Russian people have. I want to repent of my sins. And before their very eyes, this whole congregation who had been praying for this man and for this family to come back together saw God work as he begged God to forgive him of his sins, as he put his trust in Christ, the Savior and Lord. And marvelously, as I met with him later, found out that he was a student of Russian history, knew a great deal about Russian history throughout his life, had been studying Russian history. And it was on that day, in God's sovereignty, he would touch, God would touch his heart to bring him... To himself through an area of interest in Russian history. Turn with me, please, to Mark in chapter 1. I'm going to look at a few verses with you here this morning. Mark chapter 1, verse, verses 14 and 15. And after John had been taken into custody, that's John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Turn back a couple of pages to Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. And he, Jesus, was going around the villages teaching. And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs. And he was giving them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belt. But to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. This is a job description for the apostles. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. And any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake off the dust from the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. And they understood their assignments. And in verse 12, it tells us what they did. And they went out and they preached that men should repent. The Russian pastors can't finish a service without asking people to repent. And they, they don't sing songs to produce an emotional oozy feeling 
to get people to come to the church, they, they just very quickly will say, uh, perhaps someone would like to repent of their sins today. And then they'll go on with the service. And maybe they're singing a song, somebody shows up. And they interrupt whatever's going on. They deal with that person who's come to repent. And then maybe a little while later, someone else comes. And it's real interesting to see the Spirit of God working as those Russian pastors deal with sin. They aren't afraid to talk about sin. They aren't afraid to say we need to be saved from our sins. They aren't afraid to call sin what it is, as we often are in America these days. Turn back uh, to Luke in chapter 15, please. I'm hoping that that one fellow back in Michigan is is a mark, that there are going to be others, that there's going to be a revival and people are going to turn from their sin and come to Christ in a genuine, thorough way. Luke chapter 15, verse 7. I tell you, Jesus speaking, that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then back Acts chapter 26, please. A little further back. is the Apostle Paul. And he's before King Agrippa. And he's giving a testimony of his career. And he says in verse 19, Consequently, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. He had just told him about how Christ had come and miraculously saved him and called him to himself on the Damascus Road. And so he, he was going on from that point telling King Agrippa what he then did with the rest of his life. So he said he, he, he didn't prove, he wasn't disobedient to this heavenly vision, verse 20, but he kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Some time ago I... I was in the eastern Ukrainian city of Kharkov more than three years ago. It was a Wednesday evening service. And there was blizzard conditions outside and everyone couldn't get in. There were actually, I don't know how many people, maybe a hundred standing outside in the snow for the whole duration of the two and a half hour service. People were just jammed in as they usually are right up around the pulpit. And there was a wonderful men's chorus singing that night. I don't know that I've ever heard a better one. And in the middle of the service, they were singing a song about the prodigal son. And it was just wonderful. And about halfway through this song, a young man, probably 25 years of age, tried making his way down the center aisle. Now, the aisle was filled with people jammed standing. And so he's like, excuse me, excuse me, you know, to make his way down through the aisle. He finally got up to the front, and he fell on his knees in front of the pulpit and he had his hands up in the air crying out to God, sobbing, tears flooding down his cheeks. The pastor saw him and motioned to the choir director to, to interrupt the anthem. They stopped right in the middle of this beautiful anthem. The pastor went down and talked with this young man and he put his trust in Christ as Savior and Lord, repented of his sins. One of the other pastors got up from the front row chair, gave him his seat so he could stay there in the front for the rest of the service. The pastor then motioned to the choir director, okay, it's time to resume, now you can sing. They often do that, you know. When somebody comes to get saved in the, in the middle of something going on, they just stop whatever's going on. What can be more important than that? 
And then later, after the service, the pastor came to me after I'd preached and he said, he said, I thought you might want to know that two people, maybe it was three, I can't remember, repented outside on the snow tonight. They couldn't even get in. But they had sin in their heart that they wanted to deal with and they knew they needed a Savior and they had come that night to put their trust in Christ even if they couldn't get in the building. And then we were having a pastor's conference. First time we had a church planting conference and we had about 150 pastors there in a place outside of Kiev called Erpine where a number of people from the Master's Seminary have been to teach. And we'd been meeting all week and it was Friday morning and we had a special prayer time Friday morning and we were praying at the beginning of our sessions with those men. We were praying for people that lived in that immediate vicinity. The church we were meeting in was located in a residential section in a village. The houses all around it. And we're praying that, that God would somehow help us reach some of those people, open the hearts of the people immediately around the church building. Because as here, sometimes you start to feel, well, gee, you know, the people who live next door sometimes have the hardest time getting saved, you know? Don't know why that is, but it's very sad. And so one brother was, was teaching on a church planting subject. And a man came in the front door of the church. No one had ever seen him before. He was about 30 years old. And he sat in the back. Everyone kind of looked because there was nobody coming in. It was already underway for an hour or so. We looked back and here's a man came in, sat down. He looked very troubled. And then about 15 minutes later, it was time for a break in the church planting training session. And as we began to take a break, this man immediately out of his seat came up the aisle, came up to the, to the American brother who had been teaching. And he said... He started to speak to an American, couldn't speak Russian, and so they got a translator, and he said, my name is Dimitri. And he said, I, my life is a mess. I've got a wife and two children, but I've got every kind of problem there is, and I've got to find God. I, I don't know where to go. Can you help me find God? Well, a few minutes later, he was on his knees and, and praying and repentance and deep remorse and weeping and praying, asking God to save him. Luke chapter 24, please, and verse 47. Beginning, actually, with uh, verse 45. Then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. What a privilege it is to go to these countries and get to be a part of preaching the message of repentance for forgiveness of sins. And we don't have enough people to go. And I don't know any better place to, to find them than right here. It's my prayer that, that one day when I come here, I will have to stand in this pulpit and say, now everyone can't go. We have a few things still to do in America. And I submit to you as you are privileged to study the Word of God thoroughly in this place. If you somehow miss the importance of God's heart for
for the nations of the world, which you can find much about from Genesis to Revelation. If you somehow miss that, I don't know how you can miss it. I really mean it. I really, really mean it. You're taught a careful theology. I have to go to lots of schools that don't have a careful theology because people aren't willing in these days to give up the comforts of America, to spend themselves in obedience to the commands of Christ and fully throw themselves into the work of the Lord and wait for the comfort and the pleasures that will be beyond imagination later in heaven. That's, that's when all that's supposed to come for the believer. We're called to be soldiers. We're not called to a balanced life. We're called to be soldiers. I serve in a part of the world where there are more than 400 million people who want to get saved and there's no preacher. There's nobody to tell them. Oh, there are people to tell them now. They're called Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and New Age people and all kinds of Eastern religions and liberals as well. People who just come in preaching positive thinking and so on. And they're begging. Their hearts are filled with sin. They have a sin consciousness that we've never seen in America. I don't understand that part. I don't know why these people in the former communist world are laden with guilt and looking for a savior, but they are. But they are. We've got to do some research and find out why it's that way. Must have been about two years ago when I was in Misha Belarus's father's church in Cherkasa. You know Misha. His father's a wonderful pastor in Ukraine and he has 40 or 50 churches or more. I can't remember exactly that he's responsible for encouraging over a large area. And he has a wonderful church that God has used him to raise up. And they had just, prior to that, finished a beautiful new building. And so the church wasn't quite as crowded as most churches are because they had a new and larger building. And it was a Sunday morning and I was the fourth preacher. I'm so thankful I never have to be the fourth preacher in America in a service. That'd be really hard, wouldn't it? Or it'd be easy because there'd be nobody there. Not sure. But this morning, I'd been already going over for probably a year or more, and this particular morning I was feeling very bold. And so I got up to speak, and in my introduction, I was talking about the KGB very boldly. I was talking about how the communists had ripped them off, etc., trying to get into their sort of perspective and... And I'd been speaking maybe three minutes at most. The pulpit was right over here, and there was a center aisle right here. So I'm over there preaching. There's a long center aisle. When the door in the back opened, and a man started down the aisle, and I remember the first thing I thought was, there comes the KGB. I shouldn't have said that. And as he came further down the aisle, I had a comforting thought, and it was this. He's probably just a... a a sick man on a weekend pass from a mental institution and the deacons will pick him up any minute. But he kept coming, no deacons. He got a little further down and I could see his face very clearly. And this was a man who was not confused. Whatever he was going to do, he was going to do it well. And I was seen to be the only target. I didn't know why he was coming after me. You know? I just kept preaching. He came. I'm over there preaching. He came right up on the platform. When he got about where I am right here, he just fell on his knees. Guy probably 35. And he's got his hands up in the air and he's going like this and he's just crying and weeping and tears flooding down his face, confessing his sins and 
begging God to forgive him and save him. And I remember standing in that pulpit and thinking, I've always said that God doesn't need us. Boy, he sure didn't need me here today. This guy couldn't wait any longer. Could you imagine? He came to get saved. There had already been three preachers like he's saying, Hey, you know, I came to get saved. You don't need to preach anymore. I'm coming. So there he is on his knees crying. And while he's on his knees crying, another one came, another one came, another one came. Pretty soon there are about seven people there on their knees all crying and weeping, asking God to forgive their sins. And the pastor turned to me and, and said, Come over here and, and greet them and give them a gospel of Mark and so on. And then we prayed with them. And then I, I thought I was finished, so I sat down. The pastor said, No, I think I'm not, I can't remember if it was Misha's father or not that day. But he asked me to get up and preach some more. So I got back up in the pulpit and, and I preached for about 15 minutes and I did give an invitation and there were, I think, seven more people came and did the same thing. Now, what's significant about that is that that's not unique. I mean, that just could happen week in and week out. There are probably guys coming down the aisle like that fellow everywhere, all over the place. I'm just not there that often enough to see it in the middle of the service. And then I may have told you when I was here in September about an experience that I had had just before that. It kind of doesn't leave my mind. When I preached in a football stadium, a small football stadium, about 8,000 people were there. And they'd insisted that I give the invitation because I always try to get the Russians or the Ukrainians or wherever I am to give the invitations because they know the culture, they know language better. I think they can do it better. They insisted that I do it that day. And I decided if I was going to do it, I was going to make it as hard as I could make it for people to respond because I didn't want anybody thinking they had gotten saved, but they really hadn't. And then to go trusting all the rest of their lives that they were secure when maybe they weren't. And, and so towards the end of the message, I spoke for about five minutes on the subject of repentance. I'd been talking about sin. I'd started with, with Genesis and all the way through with preparing and then the gospel, the need for the gospel and so on. And then I talked for about five minutes about, about real faith, saving faith. And then I gave the invitation. And nearly 3,000 out of the 8,000 people came down out of the stand to repent. I, didn't, I thought maybe nobody would come. And then they surrounded me and I, I led them in a sinner's prayer. And I wish I had that on tape. I would listen to it often to hear the, the power in their voices and the determination and hear those who were weeping how serious conviction they had in their hearts about their sin and wanting to repent of their sin and wanting to put their trust in Christ. And I'll never forget when I said amen, I looked up and right over here was an older woman, about 75 or 80. She was three or four back in the crowd. And she was tall enough that I could see her face. And she looked over to me and she's trying to get my attention. She's got tears flooding down her face. And I looked to her and she said, Thank you for coming. I've never heard any of what you said tonight until tonight. And my guess is that that probably was true for the majority of the people who were there. They had never heard any of that before that night. We need workers. We need men and women like you to come and help us when you finish at Master's College. We need to come and help the churches there. I mean, they suffered so much all their lives for such a time as this, and now they're the most respected people in their country. We've got to help them. There are not enough of them. They're like, in, in all these former communist countries, if you loop them together, it's like less than five out of a thousand people were born again. 
And the other 900 and probably 90 are trying to get saved. Who's going to tell them? How will they hear? Paul writes in Romans, and unless they have a preacher. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, please. There are all kinds of neat things you can do in America. All kinds of neat things. But do you want to make your life count? I mean, you want to really rack it up, really make it count? Come to a place where God is pouring out His Spirit in a way that He's never done before in history and get in on it. Second Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 5. Paul writing, For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. You know, that's, that's one of our major ministries, coming alongside pastors like Dr. DeKonchenko. It really is the highest privilege of my life and ministry to get to do a little bit to help that man. He has given up everything for Christ. He would have gone to prison his whole life willingly, over and over again. You can't get him to talk about it. It's no big deal in his mind. So we get to come along and comfort and encourage people who've given up everything. Comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, Paul had written a letter that he had to write. He said, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. Now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God in order that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. A few weeks ago in December, a lot of people in a northeastern, extreme northeastern Russian city called Anadir were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. We had sent over a missionary, some of you know, Dwayne King. Many of you know Becky King. I'm going to talk about Becky King, who graduated here a couple of years ago, about her father, Dwayne. He's a missionary pilot in Alaska, but he's been making trips over into Russia. And he went over from the middle of November until the middle of December, traveling with the regional pastor for the Baptists in that part of Russia, and together they were developing a church planting strategy. Dwayne King, Becky's father, helping the Russian pastors develop a plan for reaching all these cities that don't have a church. And one city they went into was Anadir. Now, I'd been to Anadir about a year and a half ago. Anadir is a very hard place. Anadir is a city that you get access to by flying into a rickety old airport and then going on a broken down red bus down a dirt road full of bumps this time of the year. I don't know how they do it because the snow there goes between one and two stories. No? One and two stories. Not meters, stories. That means it's real risky to step out of the second story window. So the bus goes down the old bumpy road, and then you come to a little shanty after about five miles, and that's to protect you from the wind, even in the summertime. 
and you stand in this shanty and wait for a ferry to come across the bay and then you get on the ferry that looks like it's going to sink and go over to Anadir, about an hour on the ferry. Anadir has 20,000 people, not one church, but a lot of people who would love to have a church and a lot of people who want to get saved. And Dwayne King and the Russian pastors went in there about the third week, second week of December. And on the first day, they went to the pedagogical institute where they're training school teachers. And they were meeting there in the afternoon, and they preached. And they gave an invitation for people to repent of their sins and put their trust in Christ as Savior. And I'm not sure how many, but so many people started crying and weeping uncontrollably, grieving over their sins and pleading for salvation from their sin. So many of these students were crying and weeping that the president of the school didn't know what to do and he called the police. And the police came and they were going to arrest Dwayne King and the Russians and take them to jail for the crime of making all the students cry. They didn't know what was going on. You, know? you say they think those Russians aren't sensitive, you know? And they put you in jail for making people cry. You know, that's, that's pretty sensitive. Fortunately, the Russian pastor was able, able to explain to the police captain what was going on, and the police captain said he had heard of that phenomenon before, but he had never seen it, and so everything was okay. Well, then the city officials gathered, and they said, you know, what's been happening in this school today needs to happen on a larger scale.